0: For many years, I've coached sports, and one of the challenges as a coach is to help athletes to have the right mindset. Help them to be able to, to focus, help them to be able to consider all the information that's coming at them, process it correctly, and, and handle circumstances, whether good or bad, in, in the moment, in competition, and even afterwards. We all have a mindset, don't we? Some of us, maybe it leans more towards business. Some of us are competitive. Some of us have a creative mindset. Some of us, lazy. Some positive, some negative. If you're like me, you're not negative. You have a realistic mindset. (laughs) But can you imagine possessing the mind of Christ. I mean, as a Christian, we, we want to be like Christ. We want to be conformed to his image. Can you imagine possessing the mind of Christ? Here's the reality. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he says this to the church there. We have the mind of Christ. Here's the issue, though, right? We might even affirm this, agree with it, but here's the issue. We fall short of a Christ-like mindset very often. And sometimes in grandiose public ways, we don't act, we don't respond, we don't speak anything that seems like it would be something that would have come from the mind of Christ. Surely... We should think differently than the world around us, shouldn't we? I mean, if we know Christ, we know salvation, we know the hope that we have in him. If we are finding joy and satisfaction in him, surely we should be thinking differently. Surely we should be responding differently. Surely we should be about things that are drastically different from the rest of the world that has no knowledge of Christ. When I was a little kid, I was taught input Equals output, right? If you put the work in the gym, it will show up on the field. If you do the work of studying, it will show up when you take the exam. Input equals output. But what do you actually put into your mind? What do you consider? What do you ponder? What do you delight in? Because all of that stuff that is coming into your mind, into your life, will eventually trickle out into the practice of how you live your daily lives. So what's coming in? That's what we're going to look at this morning as we continue our walk through the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you, flip over to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking just at two verses, verses 8 and 9. As you're flipping over there, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll dive into these two verses. Lord God, thank you for your goodness and kindness. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your spirit that you have given all of us through the the, the indwelling and regenerating power. We are changed. We are made From old to new, we are created into new creations, and we have different desires, different mindset, and it's given to us by the work that you are doing in our lives. But Lord, we also know that that's not a free pass, and you call us to be pursuers of you. You call us to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And so I ask, Lord, that you would help us this morning as we look at these few verses that are probably well-known to many people here this morning, but that they would be challenged and they would say, I, I want to be about these things. Conform our desires to those of Christ, Lord. And I pray that you would be with me this morning. Help me to clearly proclaim your truth. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter four, verse eight and nine. Paul is starting to wrap up his letter here to the church, and he says this starting verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Church, I pray that we would be diligent in seeking to have the mind of Christ so that we would have the God of peace. I want us to be seeking to have the mind of Christ, which I, I think is laid out here in part by these virtues that we're going to look at, seek after these things so that we would have the mind of Christ and so have the promise that Paul gives us right here at the very end of verse nine, the God of peace. So let's take a look here at these virtues that Paul lists here. As you consider these these virtues that are laid out here or these characteristics you might be surprised but they're not they don't, they don't seem to be very one-sided christian right if you went to your coworker or your next door neighbor and you said are you about truth do you like truth he or she would say yeah do you like things that are lovely yeah things that are commendable Right? Like, if you went through this, no one would be shocked by this. Paul writing in the first century to a pagan culture, all of the Greco Roman people would have affirmed these very virtues that Paul is encouraging the church to affirm here. But surely Paul is is looking at it or he is shaping it. Not from a world's view of what truth, love, or honorable, or all these other things. But from a biblical, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting perspective. Paul isn't saying to the Philippian church, be good Roman citizens. He's saying, be good citizens of the heavenly kingdom. So there's a a little difference here. We're using the same word, but there's, there's a difference occurring here. And so as Paul is encouraging them to look at these things... He is saying, there's a mindset here. Why does Paul give them these virtues? At the very beginning of this letter, Paul says to the church, I want you, I desire for you to have knowledge and all discernment and that you would be able to approve what's excellent. In verse 27 of chapter one, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel Right? The way you live should should honor the gospel. Later in chapter two, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. There's something when we have Christ that's going to change the way our mind is. There's something here about these virtues which help us to think like Jesus, that help us to, to honor God, that help us to flee from evil. I also want to note that this is not the be-all, end-all, exhaustive list of biblical godly virtues. The list can go on and on. And Paul is long-winded enough. He's trying to be gracious to them by saying, I'm not going to give the whole list this time. But before I say something about these virtues, I think it would be helpful to, to address something here. It's that word, whatever. Right? Right? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever, 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 whatever. And and why I want to address that is the reality is God has created all of humanity. Believers, non-believers, doesn't matter. We have all been created in his image, right? We all are created in that and so that we manifest aspects, right? All truth can be found, not just in the church, right? There's truth outside of the church and I'm... I'm not running here. I'm going to put up some walls here in a sec here, right? But the reality is, is I think too often we think if this isn't from the church or if my favorite pastor didn't say this or my favorite podcaster didn't post these things, it's not true and right. And we automatically put up these walls and then we are closing ourselves off to a lot of things. There is truth out there that you're not going to hear from the pulpit. Why? Because I know next to nothing about astrophysics. I also know, even though I've been married for many years, still know next to nothing about women. <laughs> but there's truth for you ladies and for you you young women that I don't have for you. And I'm going to direct you away from me to somebody else who has that truth. There's truth in these places. There is truth found in books we maybe don't agree with. Doesn't mean all of it's true. We need to be able to to decipher and to discern. This is what Paul was saying. I want you to have all knowledge and all discerning that you may approve what is excellent because some of the stuff that's excellent comes in a package that also has garbage in it. And so you need to be able to filter these things out. I might be able to support someone who says, I'm about justice while saying, I agree, you should be justice here, but I disagree with how you are seeking out that justice. You understand there's this discernment here. So with that being said, let's look at these these virtues that Paul gives us. He starts here with the first one, truth. Whatever is true for the Christian, all truth is God's truth. Because he's the creator of all things. Gravity, that's God's. All truth. It begins and it ends with the triune God. It's amazing how much truth is found in the scripture, trying to root us again and again and again. God is true because truth is the foundation to all the other virtues and all the other characteristics and traits we're going to be looking at. Jesus speaking of himself in God in, in excuse me, in John's Gospel, chapter 14, says, I am the truth. Jesus also speaking a couple chapters later in John 17, 17, says, God's word is truth. Paul writing to the Ephesians reminds them that you heard the word of truth which is the gospel. We are to be people of the truth which means we should be seeking out the truth and when we seek the truth we reject falsehood and we reject irrational thought But if we are people of the truth, we are supposed to be implementing truth in our lives. If you own a business, are you truthful and and honorable in how you deal with that business, with your customers, with your employers? If you're a younger person, kids, and your parents ask you a question and you know what they want to hear, do you tell them the truth? or what they want to hear. We're called to be truthful. It's it's a foundational thing. All of these other virtues fall apart if we don't hold to what is true. Paul goes on and he gives this next virtue, honorable, meaning what's dignified, what's worthy of respect, what's noble. Things that are honorable have weight. Have you ever noticed that? Like to do the good and honorable thing is never the easy thing. It's always work. There's, there's some weight to it. There's gravity to it. Nothing frivolous, nothing momentary is really long-lasting with honor. Like we, don't, we don't honor the things that are here one moment and gone the next. It's the things that last that we tend to pay honor to. He goes on and gives this virtue of of justice or whatever is just, meaning right. Justice generally is not just right, but right with an action. It's a response. It's doing something. What's correct? What's proper? What's innocent? Do you consider the actions that you do from a perspective of justice Or do you merely look at it through the lens of this will get me what I want? Not this is what's right. This is what's true. This is what's good. Paul goes on and he he gives another virtue, pure or purity. Whatever is pure, meaning without tainting. Especially in regards to evil and sin. Too often when we hear the word pure, we think about purity, we automatically run to, to the sexual aspect of, of our life and sexual desires and actions. And, and yes, that, this, this is addressing that aspect of it. But purity is also to include your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, right? Do you do, you do it with the right motive? You might be doing the right thing, but are you really using this to... Be praised, or to get what you want, or to manipulate things in a favorable light. He then gives us this virtue of whatever is lovely. How do you define lovely? Because we all are going to have a little bit of definition of that, and so I was trying to figure out how would I define it in a way that's all-encompassing. Lovely things draw you in by their attractiveness. I mean, you might find something lovely that I think is hideous, but you're drawn to this and and I'm drawn to that. But we both can define things as lovely, things that are pleasing, beautiful, satisfying. Things that are lovely can be morally lovely like charity, compassion, fidelity, forgiveness, generosity, gratitude. Those are all lovely things. But lovely can also be Visual, like a beautiful garden that's laid out. And when you're in the garden, you might say these flowers, because of the aroma they give off, it's lovely. Or you might find something lovely in how it's built or a moving piece of music. Then Paul gives another virtue this virtue of commendable. These are things or experiences which are for one's benefit and good. We might commend a book or a documentary because it encouraged our faith. We might commend someone to to go hike a trail in the Pacific Northwest because it's awe-inspiring when you see the vistas. What things do you commend? Why do you commend them? Generally because... You want someone to enjoy something. You, it's, it's beneficial. This book helped me to consider how I'm parenting. Let me commend it to you. This movie stirred my emotions. Let me commend it to you, right? We're not trying to be like, this thing was painful and excruciating. Check it out. We don't do that. We commend things for the good or the benefit of people. I love that the Paul then sums up all of these virtues with this phrase, "If there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, right? that's this way of saying like, I can't get through every virtue. I can't get through every trait here or characteristic of, of a Christ-centered mindset, but if it's excellent and again, what is he comparing excellent to to God? The most excellent. If it's praiseworthy, how do we define that? Again, we look to God. He's the one who is worthy of all praise and honor. There is something that is virtuous, wonderful, good. If it merits praise, these are things that we should praise. We should commend. We should approve. We shouldn't forget about them. We shouldn't avoid them. But here again is where the problem happens, right? The scandal that I mentioned earlier. We read and we affirm these virtues, but they don't seem to manifest in our lives. We say we're about truth, but yet when we're in a jam, we have no problem manipulating it. Or the things we often define as lovely really aren't lovely. Or, or we're willing to taint and, and, and not be pure. Have you noticed that often it's near impossible to differentiate between the saint and the sinner. We seem so much alike. There's so many similarities to the world. There's no difference in how we live our lives, how we spend our funds, how we use our time. We call things lovely that the world calls lovely, even though it mars the creation. We call things commendable and and good, and we pursue justice in a way that often taints the very creator who is lovely and good and just. Many who claim Christ have uncoupled truth from the truth. Have you noticed that? Please don't just think outside of the church. Please think of your own life, your own heart here. There seems to be this shift. We're not really about the truth, capital T. We pursue our own truth, lowercase t. Can I just be honest with you? I hate when people say, Well, that's not my truth. I just want to be like, What? That doesn't even make sense. It's true. Not to them. Because they're not about truth, they're about truth, little t. And the sad reality is as many churches, many Christians, many people struggle with this. And so Paul is trying to challenge us to understand that if there is no truth, then there is no honor. There is no justice. Everything is corrupted. Nothing is lovely. Nothing is commendable because it all has become sinful. Sinful. If God is the one who is sovereign over all things, then he is the one by which we define all of these virtues. And as soon as we start to define them differently or reverse them, what we have done is marred God and that is sinful, that is scandalous, and we're all guilty of it. Keep your finger here in Philippians, but flip over towards the middle of your Bible to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter five, this Old Testament prophet is writing to the people of Israel. And in this section, he shares some woes, and I don't have time to go through all of them, but... But what we look at and we watch the news or we interact with people and we say, oh, the world today, the world today, oh, they don't have any, like they're, they're flipping everything upside down. It was the same for Isaiah all this many years ago. Isaiah chapter five, verse 20, 21, he says this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. See the Reversal who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. There's no difference. We we have a world that uses these same virtues. They use these same words. They say these things are this, but they have flipped it. So how do we guard ourselves? If God is speaking through a prophet and says, Woe to those who are in this category. Surely we don't want to be in the woe category. So how do we protect ourselves from that? Paul says in verse 8, think on these things. Don't just read them. Don't just read this, say, oh, that's great, and then turn the page and keep going. Think on these things. Ponder them. Consider them. And then he says in verse 9, practice them. Do them. You might not come to this verse and think, Paul is talking about discipline. But that's what these two verses are about. This is a call to discipline. You might say, it's discipleship. Think about it. Do. That's what discipleship is. Let me show you God. Let me show you what it means. Think about these verses. No, do them. And Paul is saying, consider these things. Hold them up. Seek them. But also put them into practice. That's a demanding task and one that requires diligence. Consider, ponder, regard. That's a present tense verb. Do that, not just in the past. Oh, I thought about these verses. Your mind is a very powerful tool. What you think about, what you delight in, what you're drawn to will influence. How you behave will influence how you act and what you do. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Romans 12, verse 2. Key in on some of the words here that Paul says in this passage. Do not be conformed to the world. right There should be a difference. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern... You have to know something to discern it. What is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect? What do you renew your mind with? Where do you go? Hopefully you go to the scriptures. Hopefully you go to the truth. Hopefully you look to God. Hopefully you pursue whatever is honorable, whatever is just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable. The world's going to bombard us with false manifestations of these very virtues. They're going to say this is lovely. They're going to say this is commendable. They're going to say this is pure and good. They're going to say this is justice. And, And we won't know the difference unless we know how God views these things. We have to fight this by meditating on the scriptures. We can't just accept things as carte blanche because it sounds Christian. When they don't exist anymore. But there was a time not too long ago, there was these things called Christian bookstores. Now everybody just gets it on Amazon or CBD or whatever the case is. But I remember walking into Christian bookstores and they would have right on this rack when you'd walk in this giant one, two, three, four. And it was the the top 10 best-selling Christian books for whatever that day was or that week was. And the sad reality is is that so much of that stuff wasn't actually Christian. But it had a cross on the cover and it used Bible verses, many out of context. And it was more the world just being sanitized in Jesus' language. If you don't know these virtues, You will succumb to anything that is clothed in a costume using this language. We have to know scripture. We have to know the person of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against it. I've heard so many people say, you have to take every thought captive, right? That's Paul's instruction, 2 Corinthians. But the sad reality is, is most of those people don't know any other Bible verses. If you take a thought captive, the whole point is, are you weighing it to something? They say this is lovely, is it? They say this is justice, is it? If you're not weighing it to anything, What's the point of taking a captive? But Paul doesn't end there. He doesn't just stop on thinking about these virtues. He says, practice them. Pondering and practicing these things is paramount to the Christian life. We must consciously reject all things that do not align with the mind of Christ. Remember at the very beginning, chapter one, Paul says he wants you to be able to, to have knowledge and discernment so that you can approve. Know this. That's not it. One of the greatest analogies I've ever seen. If you want to know how to discern these virtues, are these God honoring virtues or are these facades or these counterfeits? One of the greatest examples is if your job is to find counterfeit money. What you do is you study the genuine product. you hold the dollar bill in your hand let 's do twenties. those are the most counterfeited uh, number i can 't think of the right word there right You study it you you feel it, you you look at it, you examine you don 't look at all the counterfeits you don 't look at all of the, the 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 other reproductions of it, so that right away. Sorry, I just had a random thought in my mind. Because when I was some of your guys' age, I tried to make counterfeit money in my church using the church copier. Random thought. (laughs) But as soon as you had that counterfeit $20 bill that you made on the church copier, and you gave it to your dad or something, they were like, this isn't real money. Because it didn't feel right. Right? The color wasn't right. We didn't have good color copiers back then. We couldn't get the color right. You guys hired me. I don't know. know. Sorry. Here we go. You want to know what the genuine product is. It should manifest in your life. There's this pastor, he passed away a couple years back and, well, longer time ago, 1997. He was a professor, but he was also a pastor at a church. This this gentleman, Liam Strauss. Listen to what he says here. Noble thoughts are of little value unless they be translated into deeds. Living surpasses learning. Practice outshines priority. Living supersedes learning. If if we really are genuinely trying to produce these these virtues or, or seeking these virtues, it should play out in our life. Are we gonna be perfect at it? No. But if all we do is study it, And then we just put it on the shelf. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to put it in action. We're called to be genuine. The real deal. When you have a decision at work, do you think of these virtues? When you're considering what movie to stream or or TV show to binge, do you Consider these things. Is this true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? For for many years when I was doing youth ministry, I would always say to my students, I will never tell you, don't watch a rated R movie. Or I will never tell you, you should only watch rated G or PG movies. But what I will tell you Is ponder, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? And if you're not allowed to watch rated R movies, young person, please don't use the sermon to throw that into your, your parents' face. They're trying to protect you. But parent, please, let's not be legalistic. There are some amazing things that we don't want to withhold from our children. Because it is these very virtues. Let's take the time. Let's take the effort. Let's take the energy. Let's be diligent to manifest these virtues in our life, but also evaluate them so we can make good decisions. Brothers and sisters, remember, God wants you to have the mind of Christ. And he has given you his spirit. So that you can have the mind of Christ. So where do we go to manifest these things? You go to Christ. You pray. Lord, I'm I'm struggling to be truthful. Lord, I, I find that I'm drawn to things that you would define as not honorable. Help me to hate the things you hate and love the things you commend. Pray. Why? I want you to ponder. I want you to practice these virtues. I want you to pray about them. Why? Because there's a promise. There's a glorious promise here. Paul commands us to think about these things and to practice them because the God of peace will be with you. Last Sunday, I was Talking about how when we rejoice in the Lord, it brings us the peace that passes all understanding. And it's almost in a way that God, excuse me, not God, it's almost in a way that Paul is upping the ante. A few verses, two verses earlier, he was saying, Oh, that you would have the peace that surpasses all understanding. But now I want you to have the God of peace. The reward, the promise for pondering and practicing these virtues is God himself. There's not a better prize to obtain. There's not a better ward to receive. There's not a better gift to hold. We get God when we pursue God, right? It's almost Paul's trick here. If you pursue these virtues, and God is the epitome of these virtues, right? If you want to pursue something that is loving, surely the end point will be the God who is love. If you want to pursue justice, surely the the terminus, the, the end point of that, the conclusion of that, will be the God who is perfect and just in all that he does. So if we pursue these virtues, guess where you're going to end, God? Guess what you receive? Peace. Let's be about these things because we want more of God in our life. You can't separate God and his peace. When you have his presence, you have his peace. Therefore, church, let's be diligent in seeking the mind of Christ and these virtues. Let's be diligent in practicing them so as to obtain the God of peace. It's a promise given to you. You can have God right here, right now. How? Repent and believe. Maybe you don't have peace. Maybe you have a very different view of all of these other virtues. But man, you want peace or you want to know God. And I'm gonna say, here's how this happens. You realize that you can't do it by yourself. And so you come humbly and you say, Lord, I've, I've surrendered my sin. I repent of these things. I've, I've chased after love and found pain. I thought I was being just, but man, it seemed like it was always about me. The things that the world said were commendable, I saw after them. And when I held them in my hands, I realized I had nothing. And so I come to you, humbly repenting of my running and rebellion. I come to you Humbly repenting, saying, forgive me. And guess what? If you truly are believing in Jesus's finished work, right? You can't save yourself. Jesus did that for you. If you believe in his life, his perfect life in your place, you believe in his death, which was done for you, so that the the wrath and the judgment that's done for you for scarring and, and pursuing and living for all these false virtues All of those things will be poured out and have been poured out on Christ and so that God will then count you as righteous. And then as you pursue God, what you'll find is you have him. If you don't know this gospel, if you don't know Jesus this way and you desire to do that, please come talk to me. I'm gonna be standing out in that hallway in just a few minutes. Or talk. maybe you feel more comfortable talking to one of the elders or one of the other pastors. We will give you all the time you need if you want to know what it means to actually have God in that peace. To the rest of us who do know God and have trusted in the Lord, I pray that we would ponder and practice these virtues so that we can get more of him. And that we would also look more like his Son. This is good. No one will be disappointed when they have more of God in their life. So let's seek after him and let's be about these virtues because they show us God. Let's pray. Lord, what good news it is that even when we fall short of all of these virtues because of Christ, we're not rejected by you. instead we can come again and again repenting but also seeking the power of your spirit in our life to pursue these things Lord help us to grow in understanding what it means to be true to be lovely, to be commendable to be pure, to be honorable to be just, let us look and be able to Evaluate what is excellent and what is worthy of praise and let us pursue those things because in the end, all of them are pointing us to you. Lord, because you are true. You are lovely. You are commendable. You are pure. You are just. You are excellent. You are worthy of praise. And we get you. We get you. There's nothing greater than that. Because when we have you, we have peace. Because you are peace. Help us to grow in these things, Lord. Help us as a church to pursue these things. And let us do it in a way that manifests in our life. In all the things we do. The big and the small. In the ins and the outs whether good or bad, may we be about you and have that mindset of Christ that has been promised to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. We ponder these things, um, these virtues, that we might get God and we can have as much of him
1: as we want. So let's stand together and encourage each other as we sing the song. <clears throat> that we introduced last week, fighting the battle. Jesus is our
0: send you out with these words from 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellences by which he has granted us precious and a very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffectual ineffective, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a little later on, he says this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into an eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us grow in these virtues so that we can grow in the very character of God so that he be honored and glorified in our life and wherever he takes us. Have a blessed week, church.